0: Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The COVID vaccine for children is getting the thumbs up. Ontario nurses share their struggles during the pandemic. New life for the Copley building on York Boulevard in downtown Hamilton. The Salvation Army's Christmas Kettle campaign has kicked off. We'll tell you what came out of the latest Three Amigos Summit. And Hamilton's Forge FC aims to win another CPL title. The GMH podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900th. The, HTML.
0: the PCR test requirement for fully vaccinated travelers who are returning to Canada is going to be waived as long as that person has not been out of the country for more than 72 hours. We're going to chat about this and a whole lot of other COVID related topics with uh, well, one of the faces of the pandemic, and for a very good reason, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious disease specialist, joins us now. Dr. Bogosh, good morning. How are you?
2: Hey, I'm well, thanks. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. So the PCR test requirements tweak, I guess, is great news for travelers. But did the test make sense to you in the first place? And and does, does this latest change make sense from a scientific perspective?
2: I think the testing certainly had its role at the right place at the right time. And of course, like anything else, as the pandemic evolves, as our knowledge evolves, the policy has to keep up to date. It's, it's reasonable. It's reasonable to drop this test for quick cross-border trips, less than 72 hours. Uh, it sounds like they'll still require testing for people who are gone from the country, out of the country for longer periods of time or for non-Canadians who are entering Canada. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense to still keep uh, that testing in place at least for the time being, but yeah, for Canadians who just want to hop across the border for uh, a couple of days, I think it's it's pretty reasonable. That test is very expensive. It also, you know, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to get a test in Canada just to allow yourself to return to Canada.
0: The seventy two hour mark, why is that important, or is that important at all?
2: I think this is a value judgment. I think it's uh, it's arbitrary. They could have said anything between twenty four to seventy two hours. They picked seventy two hours. Um, You know, there's probably some data driving that, but there's probably a lot of value judgments based on that data that's that's driving that opinion and that policy.
0: Uh, We understand that Health Canada is going to approve the Pfizer vaccine for kids aged 5 to 11. What's your advice uh, for parents who are, I guess, maybe questioning the safety or even the efficacy of the shot for kids aged 5 to 11?
2: totally okay to have questions everyone's going to have questions totally reasonable to have questions um you know now is a great time to chat with your Care provider, if it's a family physician, a pediatrician, a nurse practitioner, whoever's looking after you and your family, this is a wonderful opportunity to sit down with them and ask your individual questions. We have to take these questions seriously. We have to approach this in an empathetic manner. This is not the time, like anything else, this is not the time for shaming and blaming and you know starting to polarize the pandemic by you know dividing people into vaccinated and unvaccinated and you know nasty labels. This this is the time to take people's concerns seriously and uh, and address them and you know i think some people we've heard different polling some people are going to jump in with two feet and get their their kids vaccinated right away other people are going to take a bit more time and that's okay i think it's totally fair to have questions about this and we just have to take those seriously
0: and this is a different approach too because now we're having adults parents making decisions on behalf of someone else so i mean the conversation is the same but certainly the scenario is a little bit different
2: Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, obviously everyone wants to do what's best for their children. And, uh, you know, obviously we have to be very careful with vaccination in any any age cohort but there is an extra sensitivity when we're dealing with children as well and you know i've spoken with many of my pediatric uh colleagues and my pediatric infectious disease colleagues about this uh they're getting inundated with questions and good questions and they're having a lot of these challenging conversations with uh with parents who just have their kids best interest at hand and, and and as they should um, so I think, you know, healthcare care providers have been facing this uh, the last few weeks, and certainly it's going to ramp up as uh, we hear this imminent approval of the pediatric vaccine.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML is Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious disease specialist. We've heard from some health experts who are concerned about Ontario's plan to allow people with COVID-19 symptoms to get tested in pharmacies. Are you worried? Should the public be concerned at all? Yeah, I mean,
2: like anything else, it's, the implementation is key. It all depends on how this is done. There's it, a couple of points, right? Like, I have no problem with people going to a, a pharmacy to get a, a COVID-19 test with symptoms, but it just has to be done safely. So, for example, like, could this be done outside? We know outdoor environments are much, much safer. And could you just set up a tent outside for this? You know, that seems pretty straightforward and reasonable to do in many, many places. Uh, you know, we know how to create safe indoor spaces. It's, you know, it's been almost two years. We know about ventilation, distancing, and crowd control. I mean, we can certainly ensure that from the time someone with symptoms walks into the building, to the time they're tested, to the time they leave, There's there certainly are ways to set this up so people are are doing so and uh, going through this process without putting other people at risk so there's a lot of right ways to do this there's also a lot of wrong ways to do this and a wrong way to do this would have you know symptomatic people taking their mask off getting a COVID test in close proximity to you know other individuals and many of whom are you know at a pharmacy because they have underlying medical conditions and they're getting medications for that i think there's we've got to be careful about this
0: it's a great point, and uh, you're a great guest, and I really appreciate the time. Dr. Isaac Bogosh, thanks for joining us once again. My pleasure. Have a great day. As a wealth of information and uh, one of the key spokespersons, one of the faces of this pandemic, and as I said off the top uh, for some great reasons, is he's been, uh, I think, uh, a reassuring voice in times where things were <laughs> up in the air, certainly in the early days of the pandemic. But throughout, uh, Dr. Isaac Bogosh has been uh, one that we can rely on for um, critical information.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Well, as part of a virtual tour, nurses in Hamilton spoke with the presidents of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario last night about their struggles and aspirations during the COVID-19 pandemic. Morgan Hofarth is the president of the RNAO and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Morgan, good morning.
3: Good morning.
0: So what did you hear from last night's virtual event?
3: Last night, I heard a really engaged group of RNs talking about some of the challenges that they have been experiencing in Hamilton, which really are similar to the challenges that we've been experiencing across or been hearing about across the rest of the province. The nurses have been working tirelessly, not just throughout the pandemic, but there was a real kind of pending crisis in nursing and in healthcare leading up to the pandemic and nurses have really experienced a lot of not just fatigue from the workload but moral distress from not being able to provide all of the assessments and intervention and monitoring that their patients and clients and communities really need so we talked quite a bit about what that experience has been in hamilton as well as what some of the potential strategies are to move forward
0: was this of one of many virtual uh, summits, I guess, that you've held? And, and if so, I'm, I'm guessing you've heard the same kind of stories over and over again.
3: Yeah, so there, I bel- this year, I, as the president, have five stops on the fall tour. And our CEO, Dr. Doris Grinston, also has, I believe, five stops on the fall tour. So we're hearing from collectively 10 different groups. Um, sometimes it's combinations of groups because right now the fall tours are taking place virtually. It provides an opportunity for different areas to join together. So we can actually hear from more than the uh, 10 groups. But yes, it is what we heard in Hamilton is very closely aligned with what we're hearing across the rest of the province. The Hamilton group was uh, the most engaged of the groups that I have met with so far and really provided a lot of good insight and information about what's going on in the Hamilton region, but also what are some of the potential solutions or what are some of the tools that they need so that they can help move past this and create a better healthcare system for everyone uh,
0: as you mentioned you know nursing shortages healthcare uh, deficiencies are, are nothing new they've only been exacerbated by the covid-19 pandemic how are nurses even going through their day to day it must be absolutely just mind-boggling
3: it is it is really tough it has been relentless in the amount of Work that nurses have been asked to do without increasing any resources. So it's it's not about, you know, we have to work hard. We've always had to work hard. It's about the increasing workload, the increasing complexity, and the feeling like you just can't do enough um, that really is making it difficult for not just RNs, but also, I would say, almost all other healthcare professionals.
0: Morgan Hovarth is our guest. She is the president of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. Uh, They held a virtual tour last night with some uh, Hamilton-based nurses and talking about their their struggles as well as their aspirations uh, as well. And you mentioned solutions being discussed to make the workplace uh, safer, better, more efficient. What are some of the ideas that have been brought forth?
3: So the number one solution that comes forward is always the repeal of Bill 124, which caps public sector employees, including nurses, or some public sector employees, including nurses' salary increase at 1%, which doesn't keep up with the cost of living. But it's not just about the financial piece. It's about having the safe and supported workplaces where nurses are not being Physically abused, verbally abused, where there are consequences for people who treat any staff member that way, um, as well as making sure that we look at workload and making sure that we have the right number of healthcare professionals and the right type of healthcare professionals in place for the patients who need us.
0: Morgan, are we losing too many nurses, whether it's because of the pandemic or Bill 124 or other circumstances?
3: We are. So we normally would see about a four um, percent attrition rate from the profession. But we did a survey over the past year of nurses who were working or nurses who were registered, and it's looking like we're going to see close to a fifteen percent attrition rate, whether it's nurses who are con- who would still be working, um who are early in their career, who are leaving for different professions, whether it's individuals who are retiring earlier or people who are leaving the province or the country to work, it's really scary, the increase in attrition without an increase in graduates that we will be seeing. Um, so it, it will take time to recover from that.
0: No doubt about it. And that's certainly going to have an impact and is having an impact on uh, you know uh, patients as well, uh, whether they uh, need care uh, today or tomorrow or next week, that is certainly going to be a factor. Morgan, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us and enjoy your weekend. You're welcome.
3: Thank you.
0: That's Morgan Horvath. She is Horvath. She is the president of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, and uh, certainly that attrition rate is um, shocking—fifteen percent compared to
1: four in past years. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Big news in the city of Hamilton this morning. This broke earlier this morning. The Copley Building on York Boulevard is going to be restored to its original character and is going to transform into a community-serving hub with commercial uses and residents. And here to chat about it is Terry Cook. He's the president and CEO of Hamilton Community Foundation. And Maziar Mortazavi, the CEO of TASS, both joining us. Um, good morning. Thanks for joining us today.
4: Good to be with you. Good to be here.
0: Maziar, we'll start with you. Um, You know, this sounds like an incredible endeavor that will further enhance what's already happening downtown. Tell us about this project.
4: Well, we're really excited to be coming to Hamilton and this being sort of our foray into this great city. Um, Hamilton for us is such an important cultural hub uh, in our province and in our country. And the opportunity for us to be able to partner with the Hamilton Community Foundation and bring back an extraordinary building to sort of its, its its iteration for the next century is, is a really great opportunity. The Copley is a magnificent building. And for us, we see the opportunity to turn this into a really important uh, community asset hub uh, where we're sort of, you know, introducing culture, uh, empowering community and and layering and exciting activities uh, all together.
0: Terry, what is the Hamilton Community Foundation's involvement in this project? And, and how do you see this hub um, contributing to the downtown core and the community as a whole?
5: Great question, Rick. Uh, First of all, we would be among the leading impact investors in the country among the foundation world. So we believe in placing our assets in things that not only provide an economic return, but also do good from a social or an environmental standpoint. We invested in, THE TAS uh, FUND A COUPLE OF YEARS AGO AFTER A LONG DUE DILIGENCE, WE WERE SO IMPRESSED BY THEIR VISION OF COMMUNITY AND OF PARTNERSHIP, uh, ONE THAT BRINGS PEOPLE IN AS OPPOSED TO EXCLUDES. AND and, uh, WE MADE THAT INVESTMENT AND THEN WHEN THEY had tied up the Copley building, which has been my favorite building in Hamilton for a long, long time. We started conversations in earnest both about becoming an anchor tenant because we've been looking for some time at uh, some space uh, at a retail level in downtown Hamilton. We wanted to put our assets in play in Hamilton. And we also have made a direct investment in the building in partnership with TESS. And what will it do for downtown Hamilton? Well, first of all, I think it reimagines uh, our most important pre-confederation commercial building. It's a that will bring people in it'll be an eclectic mix of uh, charities nonprofits, institutions and private sector tenants uh, hopefully some commercial stuff uh, coffee shop bakery what have you and we think that it uh, is just going to add some additional uh, momentum to all of the great activity that's already happening in and around our core.
0: Naziar, you mentioned this is your first foray into Hamilton what uh, stuck with you regarding this building and this city?
4: You know, we are a impact company first that uses real estate to drive deep change. Um, and for us, uh, you know, it's about community, it's about culture, it's about design. It's very rare to get a building and an opportunity that really brings all of these facets together. Um, truth be told, downtown Hamilton, where this building sits has, has has seen better days and we see an extraordinary opportunity to bring that back. Um, for us, our our opportunities are seen as ones to catalyze positive change for community, often developers are are seen as this catalyst for gentrification. Um, And gentrification often creates displacement, and we sort of see the opportunity to reverse that play, where development and community engagement can help to sort of re re anchor and and re sort of empower the communities that are there and to create something really extraordinary out of something that was extraordinary.
0: We're chatting about the uh, new look or soon to be new look Copley building on York Boulevard in downtown Hamilton. It's going to be restored to its original character and is uh, certainly going to transform into a community serving hub with commercial uses and residences. Our uh, two guests are Terry Cook, president and CEO of Hamilton Community Foundation, Maziar Mortazavi, uh, he's the CEO of Taz. We're both uh, working on this project. Maziar, another question for you. Tell us about how this building is going to be refurbished because it's over 160 years old. What sort of things do you have to do and, and adhere to when doing this kind of project?
4: You know, we look at everything that we do not as a tabula rasa, but as a continuum as part of a story. Um, we're here to write a chapter uh, in a series of chapters that have written before us and ones that will be written after us. Um, it's a matter of respecting the architecture and the character of the building, uh, but also making the building future ready in terms of its carbon footprint, enhancing its sort of its mechanical systems improving its sort of you know its envelope as as, as we would sort of call it in, in our world but the windows the, the walls the, the way that this building will perform and then also sort of highlighting some of the extraordinary character inside and outside the building um, you know it's a very handsome building on the on the outside and the building is full of character on the inside and it's sort of really this this reimagining of of sort of how we can leverage old in terms of built form to to inspire new uh, which is sort of the, the Jane Jacobs saying that you need old, old buildings for new ideas. And this is really catalytic in, in that, in that sense.
0: Uh, Terry, the Hamilton Community Foundation is a, not only a founding investor in this project, but it's going to be an anchor tenant as well. Is this going to be the Hamilton Community Foundation's hub as well?
5: Indeed it is. And here's an interesting piece of Hamilton and sports trivia because you're a sports guy. Um, I was introduced to Mazier by a guy named David Young, who's a, well-known Toronto philanthropist, David is Bob Young's brother. Um, This building was built in 1856 for Bob and David and Bill Young's great-great-grandfather. And that family has been involved, uh, principally Bill and uh, Bob's aunt and uncle, Joyce and Bill, with our foundation since our founding in 1954. So there's a pretty neat symmetry there. And in some ways, it's coming home for the Hamilton Community Foundation because we have always seen ourselves as rooted in the heart of Hamilton and trying to make a powerful difference for good forever in this community.
0: Great story. Uh, Terry, we got to run here. We got about 30 seconds. But when is this thing going to be done and open?
5: Oh, you'll have to talk to the guy who's driving the uh, <laughs> redevelopment uh, and restoration uh, to my left but uh, we're hoping to be there in somewhere between 18 months and two years but as always, we'd rather be there when it's ready and done right than to rush this thing. This thing has been around for 165 years, and it's going to be here for a long time yet. So uh, we'll be patient, and together with Tess and Maz's team, we'll do this thing right.
0: It's uh, an exciting project. Certainly looking to looking forward to seeing the finished product. Terry Maziar, thanks for the time today. Good
5: luck with us.
4: Great to be with you. Thank you so much for the time.
0: That is Terry Cook, President and CEO of the Hamilton Community Foundation, and Maziar Mortazavi, the CEO of Taz. As you heard, at the Copley Building on York Boulevard, going to be restored to its original luster and be even greater than ever.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Big day yesterday for the Salvation Army officially launching its 2021 Christmas Kettle Campaign. This is the organization's Uh, biggest public fundraising drive in Ontario, and, uh, well, they're counting on you and I to help them out and help them reach their fundraising goals so they can help millions of people really across this country um, have a, you know, better go at things, because it has been extremely tough for those less fortunate during the pandemic, that is for sure. Glenn Van Gulick is the Divisional Secretary for Public Relations with the Salvation Army Ontario Division and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Glenn.
6: Good morning. How are you today? Not too bad. Yourself? Wonderful. Thank you. Great to great to be connecting with you this morning.
0: This is certainly an exciting time of the year for the Salvation Army. Tell us about the campaign.
6: Well, it's our 131st Christmas kettle campaign. Actually, um, you know, coming up this uh, May 2022 will be 140 years that the Salvation Army has been uh, doing work in uh, Canada, and that actually began in Ontario. So, celebrating 140 years next year, but. Uh, The 131st Kettle Campaign kicking off last night here in Ontario with a goal across the province of $12 million. Um, In Hamilton, of course, about $450,000 is our goal there. And every dollar stays local. Every dollar that's donated in our kettles or... uh, the, attached to those kennels is a tip-tap machine for contactless donations. Every dollar stays local and supports the programs and services of the Salvation Army in the community.
0: What kind of programs does this money help support? What, what's being done at the Salvation Army to help those people yeah. in need?
6: Well, as you can imagine, there is great need, growing need, um, and that only strengthens our resolve to support those families, individuals who come to us every single day. Uh, we're seeing people coming to us regularly and uh, and that's increasing but programs like uh, food insecurity those who are struggling to put enough food on the table make that paycheck last uh, to the end of the month you know many families have experienced over the last couple of years maybe the loss of an income or loss of hours uh, the cost of food has gone up it's going up again and uh, and so food insecurity is a very real uh, challenge for many families Uh, You know, we've seen this past year, as we've looked at the numbers, 65% of the children that we serve are school-age children, and they're the ones that are being impacted by this. So, you know, food insecurity, that's one big part of uh, what the Salvation Army does. Of course, homelessness. Uh, We see it downtown Hamilton, our Hamilton Booth Centre. Jim Moulton and uh, and the team there supporting those who are uh, struggling, struggling to find a a roof over their head, uh, but making sure as well that those who can... Uh, remain housed, Uh, the team is working with those individuals to prevent homelessness. So, you know, between uh, food insecurity, homelessness, addiction challenges, addiction programs, those are all the types of programs and services that the Christmas Kettle Campaign is is supporting. And, And quite frankly, the army of givers that are providing those supports and making those donations are the ones that are making the difference.
0: There's also, and this goes along the line of you know it's not just a handout, but it's a hand up uh, things like budgeting classes, uh skills training we're we're enticing and really helping people uh, you know take that next step
6: absolutely, and that's that's a big part of what what we want to be able to do for anyone that comes to us. you know many many that come to us, they come to us for a a reason, they're in crisis, and often the Salvation Army is a place where they come as a last resort trying to figure out what's next and as you point out making sure that we can provide for their emergent need you know you 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 can't solve the challenges that you find yourself in when you can't put food on the table um, or you need a roof over your head so we help solve those emergency challenges that crisis moment but at the very same time focused on supporting the individual or family to make sure that in the coming weeks and months they find themselves standing on their feet and able to move forward so like you say budget classes You know, working with individuals to find jobs, uh, making sure that people are supported from a a housing perspective, hydro, all of those types of things are taken care of so that they can find themselves in a better way uh, the next day. Yeah.
0: We're chatting with Glenn Van Gulick, he's a Divisional Secretary for Public Relations at the Salvation Army Ontario Division here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML talking about the Christmas Kettle Campaign for the Salvation Army, which kicked off officially yesterday. You mentioned uh, TAP technology. This is obviously born out of the COVID-19 pandemic, but really entering the uh, the new millennium here, forgiving.
6: Oh, you're so right. Yeah, this year, uh, our great partners at at ChipTap. Um, are working so well with us, enhancing the technology. You're right. About two years ago, when we, when we saw COVID hit, uh, we were in the midst of actually rolling this technology out because not everyone is carrying cash with them. Uh, people feeling much more comfortable tapping these days and making a donation using their credit card or debit card. So on all of our Christmas kettles, uh, you can still donate with cash or check, but there's an option to tap your credit card or debit card and make a donation in the amounts of 20, ten or five dollars and you can tap multiple times but a great way for contactless quick donations to be made and we saw that last night we've been seeing that over the last couple of days people feeling very comfortable uh these days making a donation in that way
0: donations to the uh, christmas campaign can also be made online at salvationarmy.ca you can also call 1-800-SAL-ARMY um regarding uh you know online social media is that being used as well to kind of drum up donations
6: it is yes our online uh, givers you know when when we start realizing over the last over the last 18 months many people have become far more comfortable with uh with shopping online uh donating online and we've seen a a, a great uptake and a, and a great support for our online platforms and you know it's it's wonderful to be able to make a donation receive a receipt in your email right away knowing again that those Donations are going to your local Salvation Army, and that that uh, that donation will be used locally to make a difference in the lives of those in your community. Neighbors helping helping neighbors.
0: Uh, do you need volunteers to uh, be attendants at these uh, kettle locations?
6: Rick, we certainly do. Volunteers are critical. They are the army behind the army, and uh, every single uh, day when we have our kettles out, those are volunteers standing on those kettles. Right, ringing the bell, supporting the army in the way that they can, and so uh, if individuals are wanting to or groups wanting to volunteer, maybe you've got a um, a Rotary Club or maybe you've got a, a group of individuals at your at your workplace that would like to gather, get together and help the Salvation Army by uh, standing on a kettle for a day or two. Just contact the Salvation Army. You can hop online, SalvationArmy.ca/volunteer, and fill out the form and. Uh, lynn cummings major lynn cummings our salvation army officer here will get in touch with uh, the local salvation army and get you connected so that we can get you on a kettle helping us raise those funds critical to support those living in hamilton who who need our support
0: the most amazing kettle volunteer that i've ever seen this was probably about three or four years ago was at a walmart she was probably 25 she was playing the trumpet christmas songs on her trumpet and it was so amazing people are just standing around giving just taking in the music it was a a sight to see so hopefully we get a lot more of those people out as well glenn really appreciate the time good luck with the campaign
6: thanks so much rick have a Blessed day. Merry Christmas.
0: You too. Merry Christmas to you too. Glenn Van Gulick, Divisional Secretary for Public Relations at the Salvation Army Ontario Division. Those kettles are out and about. Give in the community $450,000 as Hamilton's goal 12 million for Ontario. Let's hit those targets.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
5: I did have an opportunity to directly raise concerns Uh, about the proposed electric vehicle tax credit, uh, as well as discussing the Buy America uh, initiatives and concerns around uh, the Line 5 situation. That
0: is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau saying a trilateral summit with President Joe Biden in the U.S. and Mexico's Andres Manuel López Obrador was, quote unquote, extremely effective But as you just heard, he did not shy away from raising some concerns about America's economic policy. Reggie Giacchini is our Washington correspondent with Global News and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Reggie. Happy Friday. Uh, Major highlights. What stuck out to you from yesterday's Three Amigos Summit?
7: Well, look, I think, uh, you know, number one, anybody who thought that this summit was going to start up and there would be kind of concrete solutions and resolutions coming out of the meeting was probably going in with too high of an expectation because these leaders haven't met each other uh, for the last several years outside of virtual meetings. So this was kind of that opportunity to put things back together after a frayed four years. Uh, I think what stood out most is the fact that we saw Canada come in. We saw Justin Trudeau put the cards on the table and say, here are the concerns that Canada has, notably when it comes to Uh, economic policies like you mentioned in the United States, specifically with that infrastructure bill, and the fact that there was uh, an openness to receive that concern from the president. But at the end of the day, you know, as much as business councils and business leaders and the government in Canada really wants the U.S. to kind of step aside to put Canada's best interests first, the United States is not really a country that's going to simply roll over to anyone else's interests, but it was interesting to see that after four years of kind of pushback, that there is an open avenue for dialogue back and forth.
0: Yeah, that was something that was, uh, you know, interesting to see. There was no really commitments made uh, from the, uh, you know, EV tax credit, the Line 5. Certainly automakers on this side of the border must be worried about, you know, the Build Back Better and the Buy American U.S. protectionism policies that have been, you know, running their course over the last several years, continuing with the Biden administration, should automakers here be worried at all?
7: I, I, look, I think that there are going to be continued uh, conversations. I think it would be hard to throw all of your eggs in one basket and say, look, after one leader summit, uh, you know, X, Y and Z was expected to happen. I think the fact that there are these avenues for negotiations is going to be a kind of weight, uh, even if it's just a small weight off the shoulders of the automakers to say, look, maybe potentially there is going to be an opportunity for the countries to work together. And you have to go back to the broader picture here where the prime minister in his speech last night and what we heard from the president as well is that there is a a kind of concerted effort here, one of the deliverables, uh, to create an integrated North American system when it comes to either the economy or the supply chain. Uh, and it would be hard to see how the United States kind of goes forward, especially with this electric vehicle uh, uh, legislation that's in a bill that ultimately stalled in the House last night for for differing reasons. Uh, But it would be hard to see how the U.S. would go forward with that and not feel some kind of pressure or pushback from the Canadian government. So I think it might be too early to say that worry should be in the picture, but at the end of the day, the fact that conversations took place should kind of provide some comfort to people who were feeling, well, look, we may be stonewalled right now because of what we've seen over four years.
0: Fresh off the uh, COP26 climate change uh, conference held by the United Nations, uh, Line 5 pipeline certainly came up. We know that Both leaders have committed to doing better, at least have talked about that in terms of our carbon emissions and carbon footprint. What is the status of Line 5 from the U.S. perspective?
7: Well, look, because Canada invoked that treaty uh, from back from 1977, it's kind of tied the United States' hands. The situation is going through federal court right now. Uh, 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 Senior uh, justice officials say that it needs to stay where it is uh, in order to get worked out. Uh, The president has been feeling pressure from all sides right now to do something. But again, because this is working its way through court, uh, uh, you know, it, the United States has kind of got to sit back and watch the process play out. I think it plays into a bigger picture, though, about uh, how climate has become such a, a key and component uh, ish, a key component rather, for uh, Joe Biden, but also for Prime Minister Trudeau, because both understand that while well, they want to see big improvements when it comes to dealing with climate change uh, structures, they also understand that their economies partly rely on the energy sector. So they have to be careful about doing something that could dismantle or cause disarray in the energy sector while trying to move forward. So that's why you see things about putting caps on carbon emissions and dealing with black carbon. They have lengthier dates on them. uh, And it's because negotiations are going to need to take place. And and climate change is something that's going to be a long, drawn-out Fight to figure out what works best.
0: We have a couple more minutes here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML with our Washington correspondent for Global News, Reggie Chikini, as we uh, do a wrap up on the Three Amigos Summit, first one held in a long, long time. Uh, China also came up in yesterday's discussion, including whether or not Canada and the U.S. should be boycotting the Beijing Olympics. Any update there?
7: So look, uh, 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 this was actually asked to the uh, president uh, earlier in the week, and some of the comments had to be cleaned up. He kind of danced around the topic yesterday. This is something that the the Biden administration is uh, kind of you know, feeling pressure on to put some kind of political boycott uh, in place. I know this question uh, was asked to uh, uh, to the prime minister last night, uh, and he said that you know, in the conversations with with the president, the issue of the two Michaels came up, and they've been having discussions with their allies. So it's kind of a still to be seen thing. What Canada is going to do ultimately? Uh, all governments are feeling pressure based on kind of the the rise of of tensions surrounding China and and, uh, and human rights challenges and violations inside the country. This is going to be something that needs to be dealt with sooner rather than later given the fact that the olympics are just so close
0: covid 19 certainly came up in the talks as well anything to report on that front
7: So look, uh, there was a kind of framework laid out in the bilateral between Justin Trudeau and President Biden to say we need to work better at uh, border management to make sure that uh, management is done in a more bilateral way. And that kind of harkens back to the crisis over the uh, testing requirements that are still a kind of political pressure on both governments right now. But it goes beyond that to say, look, let's take the lessons that we learned during the pandemic and ensure that going forward, we're able to do things in a more harmonized and uniform way. That's on the border. On the vaccine front, the White House put together a plan saying that Canada and Mexico uh, will be part of a pay it forward program to ultimately send millions of doses of of, of vaccines uh, to developing nations through Latin America, through the Caribbean, uh, to say, look, the United States gave Canada all of these vaccines at the beginning. It's now your responsibility to pay it forward to other countries. And it really harkens back to that uh, push and drive that the president has had over the last couple of months to make America the the kind of leader in global vaccines vaccine strategy. That's why they were talking about COVAX. This is a kind of broad global effort that's just falling on the doorstep of Canada right now to ensure that more people are getting vaccinated.
0: Reggie, great stuff as always. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for the time today. Thank you. And that is Reggie Chikini, Washington correspondent for Global News, giving us a recap of the Three Amigos Summit uh, with uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, U.S. President Joe Biden and Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. One of the thing to highlight is that the um, working group, the North American Working Group on Violence Against Indigenous Women and Girls, is being revived, according to U.S. President Joe Biden. That was an initiative that uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and former U.S. President Barack Obama struck back in 2016
1: you're listening to the good morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML
0: oh the donut box is going to be rocking this weekend we have Ticats and Rough Riders tomorrow pregame show on CHML begins at three kickoff is at four the fifth quarter follows the game on Sunday it is semi-final Sunday in the Canadian Premier League at least here in Hamilton is Forge FC aims to win their third consecutive CPL championship. Here to share some information and how this team is doing is Bobby Smirniota, he's the head coach of Forge FC, and we say good morning, Bobby. Good morning. You got a huge semifinal against York United this Sunday at 3. Are you guys ready? Are you excited? What's the feeling?
8: Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to it. You know, it's uh, been a while since we've played some playoff games Football here at home in front of our own crowds, uh, in front of our own crowd, and we're looking forward to it here at Two Hornsfield. I think it's an exciting weekend for Hamilton sports fans.
0: Uh, the winner is going to play either Cavalry or Pacific FC in the final. You guys have a little bit of history with Cavalry. What, what, is that the optimal final for you guys?
8: You know what, I think the most important thing is uh, what we do on Sunday when uh, when we get past that one and uh, all goes well in the final, we'll take any opponent uh, when we get there.
0: Now Forge, as I mentioned, you know, you won the inaugural CPL championship uh, last year, you know, through the Island Games, won another CPL title. Uh, how have you been able to keep Forge on top from the start until uh, now, three years later? What's What's the secret to the success?
8: I think the biggest thing is we just build a philosophy, a philosophy of how we want to play and how we want to do things in in our dressing room and on the field. And and most importantly, the players have bought in thoroughly. You know, we've got a core group that's been here since uh, 2019. Uh, This is their third season and just always sprinkling in some... uh, some extra talent and uh, somebody who gives us an extra gear uh, each year, and I think that's kept us going.
0: Bobby Smirnionis is the head coach of Forge FC, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. One of those glue guys who's also a producer as well is Captain Kyle Becker. How important has he been to this franchise since day one?
8: Yeah, he's been excellent. You know, I think he's been a great ambassador for for the club and the, and for the city and what we represent in the Canadian Premier League from his first day before he kicked the ball and, you know, once we started kicking a ball, he's shown his quality on the field both in the league and in our Concacaf league play in continental competition. So you can't ask for anything more from a captain.
0: What did it mean uh, for you guys and you personally as well when Forge qualified for the Concacaf Champions League because that is, you know. Uh, an extremely difficult tournament to get through and, and get to at least the semifinals, and you're there now. What, what what does that achievement mean?
8: Yeah, I just think it's a massive feat. I think it's a single most important thing we've done as a, as an organization. It's what I've told the players. You know, uh, you have the right every year to compete for a CPL title, but uh, you know it's a privilege to be part of continental competition, and it doesn't come along uh, every year. Um, So we have to take our opportunities, and I think we've done a great job putting Forge on the map, putting the city of Hamilton on the map in CONCACAF soccer uh, circles, and we've seen our growth in in the Central American uh, game. And now we're taking it to the next level with uh, Champions League football in twenty twenty two.
0: That's one of the unique things about soccer. You have your regular season, so to speak, and going for the uh you know, the, the, the league cup. There's also other trophies to win, including, you know, as you mentioned, the Continental Cup, very similar to the Champions League in Europe. You know, we don't see that in basketball or football or hockey or baseball, but soccer has that unique ability to, you know, spread its wings a little bit more. Um, but from a coaching perspective, you know, you have to uh, you know, have your guys look at a league title and this Continental Cup with the same light. And, and do you have to refocus them game in and game out depending on the competition?
8: Yeah, I think so. You know, when you're taking part in the Canadian Premier League, you're playing opponents that you're usually used to, guys that you've seen a lot. And then when you're getting into ContiCast League, it's it's 100% new. And the biggest thing there is just making sure that you get the guys, all the little details they need on the opponent. But most importantly, what we've been able to do here and our biggest success is we focus on ourselves. We focus on the brand of football that we want to portray on the field that we want to bring out. And I think that's been the biggest success of, of being able to navigate these competitions. You know, we're on game 37 this, uh, this Sunday compared to most of our CPL counterparts who have played 30. Um, so you know we need to keep it simple for the guys and really focus on ourselves.
0: No doubt about it. Bobby Smirniotis is our guest. He's the head coach of Forge FC. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Give us a scouting port of this uh, scouting report. That is of this Honduran team that you're facing in the Concacaf semis on November 24th. What are they like?
8: Yeah, they're uh, they're a very strong team. They're one of uh, historically top teams in the Concacaf uh, region in the Central America region. Um, coming out of Honduras, they're a team that can uh, that can mix it up. They can. Uh, be a very technical team they can be a physical team so we expect it to be one of our you know tougher opponents same thing as we looked in uh, the last round with uh, santos dugapiles from uh, from costa rica a little bit of a similar uh team uh, but one thing we want to make sure that we do is take advantage of uh, of our home field here on the on the wednesday evening here at tim Hortons field we know it's uh Usually an uncomfortable place at this time of year for uh, for opponents in Central America to come and play. And our fans and our supporters just make it a great atmosphere. So that's something that's going to be important for us.
0: We certainly saw that earlier this week in Edmonton with the Canadian men's national team playing uh, Mexico in uh, frigid conditions, snowy conditions. It was an entertaining game. What has their success meant to the CPL as a whole and vice versa? What has the CPL success meant to the Canadian men's national team?
8: Yeah, I think all around we're just seeing a shift in what Canadian soccer is, and I think that's the most important thing. And what I've always said, just being involved in the game at the at the local level and and development over the years, and now with Forge, it's you know we've got the players uh, to compete, but not only just to compete, but to have success. And that's the one thing that uh, that we've seen going into the CONCACAF region. It's go out there and play your brand of football. And I think that's one thing you've seen from both the Canadian national team and also Forge on our end in CONCACAF League. It's, it's, we're going out there and we're putting our stamps on the game. You know, We're making teams think about us. And I think that's what the national team has done. And it's a fantastic crop of players. You look across the board at where the players are playing in different top leagues in, in Europe and just the success they're having. I think it's just one of those culminations of all of these good things coming together. And I think it's uh, time for Canadian soccer to get on the map.
0: No uh, soccer club can have success without their uh, rabid supporters, and certainly Forge FC has that in spades. Talk about the supporter clubs and all the fans that come out to watch your games.
8: Yeah, it's excellent. You know, it's it's one thing we obviously missed uh, last year, kind of being on the road in the Island Games and competing Concacaf uh, away from uh, away from home. But being here at Tim Hornsfield Field is excellent. The Barton Street Battalion, all of our supporters, they come out here. They make it an excellent environment. And really, there are our 12th man out there. And that's the biggest thing that we're looking forward to now in these uh, in the playoffs, in the Canadian Premier League, but also in our CONCACAF League game coming up against Motagua.
0: Bobby, good luck on both those fronts, CPL and the CONCACAF Champions League, and uh, we'll chat with you down the road. Thank you very much. That's Bobby Smirniotis, head coach of Forge FC, as they take on York United this Sunday at Tim Hortons Field. 3 p.m. kickoff, and uh, the winner of that game will go to the CPL Championship against either Pacific FC or Cavalry FC, uh, based uh, in uh, basically Vancouver and Calgary. That should be an exciting final, no matter which teams are in there. And, of course, the CONCACAF semis uh, at Tim Hortons Field, November 24th against a team from Honduras. And uh, can you imagine this Forge FC team, this Hamilton team in the CONCACAF final? Yeah, we can imagine it because Forge FC has been...